I want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Ben, and if you're here and it's your first time, we're glad that you're here. Um, Guys, I'm excited for week two of parenthood. Let's pray and we'll get into it. God, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to gather here uh, to seek you. God, I have no idea where the spiritual heart and condition of everybody in this room, uh, what that might be, Uh, but God, at some level, um, I, I, I feel like people are here because they, they are seeking out what are the claims of Christianity? What's the Bible all about? Uh, maybe they're just here because they were invited. Um, and then there's people who have been walking with you for many, many years. God, wherever we are in our journey seeking after you, God, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts and that we would take your truth and apply it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, as we get started, I don't think I say this enough. Here at Lifestone Church, our goal is not to teach you the Bible. Don't get up and leave. You know there's more to it than that. If we just, this is a good example this morning in the series we're going through. You can have all the information you need about raising children in a very, very healthy way. And it does you No good unless you actually apply what you know, right? So our goal, our end goal is not to teach you the Bible. And and just so you can be, because if you stop at that, what you do is you become puffed up with that knowledge. So here's what you could do even with this parenthood series. And that's what the Bible says happens to us. Uh, You could could just be a a better know-it-all at work about parenting. And you could really, you know, when, when you see the, the kid throwing the fit while you're out shopping, you could be like, oh, well, here's three points that they should really follow, you know. And maybe if you'd had an opportunity, go tell that stranger those points or whatever. And that would be, do nothing except present ourselves as arrogant, puffed up with knowledge, know-it-alls. And that's the principle that we see throughout the Bible, that we're warned time and time again, if we take God's word and truth and we don't apply it, then we just become arrogant. And so as we're going through this really practical series on parenting, um, I just encourage you to really uh, ask God the big question, not, okay, I've learned some interesting principles in your word, but how do you want me to live these out? And I think these principles that we see here, uh, I know some people are like, well, hey, that's not the season of life that I'm in right now, parenting, or my parents are, or, or I'm sorry, my kids are, are grown adults, or, or maybe this doesn't quite apply. And these principles, I think, really can apply um, to, to many relationships, and you can influence in a positive, encouraging way, you can in- influence other people with these, with these principles. Uh, the opposite of that, here, here's what the scripture says. Instead of just saying it says that, it says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And love in the Bible is action-oriented. It's a decision we make and an action we take. And so uh, that's what I'm calling you guys to do as we, we look at all these biblical principles. And that's what we're going to look at today principles of parenting because sometimes I don't know if you're you know stand in the grocery uh, store aisle checking out or at Walmart or whatever and you know there's those magazines and they're like trying to guide our lives on all sorts of areas you know um, and I think parenting can come up quite a bit and 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 I think parenting can be similar to almost dieting you know like there's fad parenting uh, trends of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And, and I think there's just, we're going to look at three 
uh, I think, timeless biblical principles of parenting that don't go in and out of style, that don't apply to this context or this culture, but not this one, but, but ones that apply um, universally. Um, and so what we're, if, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to uh, start finding, flipping through and find the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're just going to look at this short little, uh, short little few verses that talks about Jesus's probably most famous interaction with children and see some principles in there that I think can really help us as parents. So Mark chapter 10, verse 13, let me just read these few verses that we'll examine this morning. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what, has, what happened, uh, I'm sorry, what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. And I think really the, the heart and key of that passage that we often look at is just how we and anyone approaches Jesus with this just simple faith that we have nothing to kind of bring to the table, but that we are just running to Jesus and having this simple faith like Jesus. Just tell him the next service is at 11 o'clock. I think that's the first time the phone's ringing during the service. <laughs> um, so we're going to look at some other things that we may have not seen so clearly uh, in there um, I just laugh because I'm like, who calls the church uh, on Sunday morning? Um, <laughs> so why did the parents bring their, their children to Jesus? Um, it says that the parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. Uh, the word that we get there that's translated touch is, is that he could embrace them, that he could, he could um, show this level of, and this is what we're going to talk about in the first point, uh, appropriate physical affection. Um, and what it reminds me, I, I'm trying to think of this picture in my head of all these kids, and the parents are actually bringing them, and then the kids are like running to him, and, and it kind of reminds me of, like, check out this video. never forget the first time their dreams come true and now is the perfect time to start the magic Lifestone Church does not endorse Disney or <laughs> unless they give us some profit or something then we're all in um, so isn't that interesting I mean I remember that like I, we took our little kids to Disney and we hauled them out to California and went to even Disney World sometimes as they were growing up um, sorry kids you can't go to college now but you got to go to Disney <laughs> but um, 
Isn't that interesting, especially when they were small, that they wanted to embrace these characters that they saw as just these, these wonderful heroes and, and, and people they looked up to? And, and that's the picture. Now, I'm not trying to make Jesus into some Disney character, Mickey Mouse, but just this concept that they, they, I think the children even saw something in Jesus, that he was pure and he was perfect. And, and this was a very appropriate thing. And it wasn't just that he was, like, touching, touching them. That The word here really is that they were, like, you know, jumping on Santa's lap and, like, really excited to, to embrace Jesus. And so that's the picture that we get. And, and there's this principle that we see that, number one in your program there, that we as parents should have appropriate physical affection towards our kids. And it may not be something we think that much about. And it may not be something that, you know, is some priority uh, in our home. Uh, there's a famous story uh, of, a, of a king named King Frederick. And uh, he was a king uh, back, this is like Middle Ages. And there's a famous thing that he did as this kind of crazy, uh, terrible thing that he did, but it showed a, an interesting thing, that he took 50 babies in, in, in his kingdom, and he, what his question was, was what language would these babies speak if they were never spoken to? And that was his big question, so he, as being king and kind of dictator, he just said, hey, take 50 children, and then he hired uh, people to take care of them, but along with never speaking to them, they were given the instructions to also never hold them and to never do anything other than, you know, feed them and change them and, and just the absolute minimum, but show no real physical affection towards them and never speak to them. Well, the language that they spoke was actually they never found out because within a year, all 50 babies died. And, and I know, a horrible, tragic story, but it showed this thing. And, and if you've done any kind of study, especially when kids are very young, that God created us and he put it within us, this desire to show appropriate physical affection uh, to our children. Um, emotions seem to be attached to that physical touch. You think about even, like, what's some of the most emotional expressions we have in our culture? What I think of is, is sports. And, man, it's pretty weird, right, when you think about it. Like, we're used to it, but think of how physical sports are and how when people get emotional, I thought it was cool yesterday, uh, who was it, LSU knocked off Alabama. And, and the coach afterwards, the team was, he was crowd surfing in the locker room <laughs> with his team, you know. But, you know, we know, we, we make jokes about in sports, you know, there's no other realm while, where it's okay to pat someone's butt, you know, and always flat-handed, never cupped. You have to answer to Jesus if you cup, but flat-handed, but, I mean, come on, right? Like, we're just used to that, and if you've been a part of sports where that's this kind of physical affection, but there's a lot of emotions tied up into doing this journey together. Most, most of the time in a, in a sports setting, you become a family and a team, and you get very excited about things, and that's kind of the natural, uh, natural thing that happens as you win the championship. You know, you don't go, well, congratulations, you know, fellow teammates. No, you're hugging and you're embracing, and, and there's something very significant uh, about that, and God created us 
to have appropriate uh, physical affection with one another. In Mark 6, uh, 56, it says, Whenever he went in the villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. So in the New Testament, there's about 20 times that mentions very specifically touching Jesus or Jesus touching others. And every single time that happens, some kind of healing is taking place. And there's some supernatural thing that, that is really incredible and uh, that, is, that is happening usually in these instances. But there's this association with healing and, and connecting that to this, this uh, physical affection and touching in some way, shape, or form. Uh, now, here's the thing. When kids get older, um, uh, people who are experts in the field here, especially girls, actually, when they begin, get to, to um, preteen age and older, they require and desire more physical affection. And, and that's where I would just challenge you men to know that that can be also a time when it's more awkward for us fathers and dads to show appropriate physical contact. But as they desire that, Rachel's laughing, my, my oldest daughter. She's like, Dad's always hugging me and kissing my head and wanting to hold my hand while we're walking around, you know, shopping and going to the movies. <laughs> and I pet her. He always, I don't know, I just like to pet my children. We don't have any pets at home, so I pet my kids. Um, but there's this appropriate physical affection, and I've, I worked with teenagers for 12 years, and, and I saw kind of the extreme other side of it. Uh, often when girls would seek out a negative, uh, uh, not an appropriate physical connection with boys in that time in their life, preteen and teenager years, um, often you would see, well, there was a very absent whole of, of, you know, a father figure in their life of, of, of some way. And so sadly, if they don't receive that kind of appropriate physical affection, they may try to seek it in a negative way and try to get that from boys whose hormones are raging or whatever, and, and may try to um, fill that hole in a way that God doesn't want, God didn't design. Um, Boys, what about boys as they, as they grow up and get older? Well, they push away and they resist. And I, I, don't, I don't pet Jackson so much. Um, <laughs> but there's other things that, that we can put our arm around our sons. We can, you know, just come up with fist bump things with our son. But just show him there's something emotionally that connects with physical touch. And I think we see this. Uh, principle throughout the Bible. And yes, of course, this, these, like I talked about in the very beginning of the series and the beginning of today, these principles can apply to other relationships in our lives. And so, of course, marriage, right? Physical uh, affection is, is very important. And, and to know that it's not always has to be men and women, married men and women, a sexual thing, Right? There is an appropriate uh, embrace and emotional connection that we can have. And if it's only that, men, I'll just talk to the men right now. And the response is, oh, now you want to touch me. <laughs> That's why that response is given. Um, 
So let's just move on to number two. Number two, quality time. Quality time. It's often said that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. I've heard that many, many times, and I think that's true. In Mark 10, 13 through 14, as we just examine more of this passage, it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them, but his disciples scolded the parents for bothering him, for bothering him, thinking, oh, why would something be a bother? Because Jesus is too busy and too important to do something else. He doesn't have the time for these kids. He doesn't have time to show them compassion and and, and any attention whatsoever. And what's interesting is the response. I think some translation, translations really soften Jesus' response. The, new, the NLT, I think, uh, appropriately translates that word in, in a real clear way, that, that Jesus becomes angry. He, he, he has a, a very strong reaction to his disciples not understanding how important it is to spend time, to take the time, to be bothered, to go out of his way in order to, to pay attention to these children. Today, I've heard some sociologists and parenting experts describe our parenting method as pit stop parenting. Any, any NASCAR fans? Oh, I like you guys so much. Oh, no, wait, we got one. It's okay. We'll pray for you. Uh, no, I've got lots of friends. who. It's funny, we're in Utah. I came from Texas, of course, and, and spent some time there. And, and when I grew up in Nebraska, yeah, no NASCAR fans. Went down south, lots of NASCAR fans. Um, but, man, pit stops. If, you, if you're into that and you watch, that's one of the most amazing things, I think, in, in NASCAR is to watch that take place. There's like 30 people around the car. They give you an oil change, new tires. The guy's eating his Happy Meal and, like, Boom. He's out of there, you know, and, and it seems like in our fast paced culture, that's how we, you know, you, you see your kids for two minutes a day. How you doing? Do you have any homework? Are you flunking out of school? You know, are you, you know, did you take a bath this week? All right, great. Grab some meal, you know, and, and we're on our way. But it really takes time. And I love if you examine the, the ministry of Jesus, you see that he was willing to, to get off of his schedule. Often that's when you saw miracles happen. Often that's when we see specifically recorded what God did when Jesus was interrupted. And so um, we should be uh, able to be interrupted. And, and let's be honest, our excuses are weak. Can I just be honest? Can I, I be honest? Because I make excuses. Uh, I, I took the, the staff out. We went a couple weeks out to um, a conference. And uh, one of the things that really impacted me is, is uh, a pastor got up there and he shared how he got burnt out in ministry. And he said something that he realized is he would always say, I don't have the time, I don't have the time, I don't have the time. And he realized that, no, he really wasn't being honest with himself that we all have the same amount of time. So it's not like we can get more time, but he was just choosing not to make the time. So he said he changed the way he talked about things. And when he didn't do something, he didn't make the excuse, I didn't have the time. He was honest with himself and said, I didn't make the time. And that kind of changed the way that he, instead of being able to excuse him not doing something he felt like and making this excuse that he didn't have enough time, who here, th- who here wishes 15 years ago 
you would have invested in Netflix. (laughs) Man, I wish 15 years ago I would have put every penny I had into Netflix, right? That's all I got to say. We have the time. Netflix would not be the raging success that it is. And us wanting to binge watch hour after hour after hour of things if, if we in our culture were really so busy that we had no time whatsoever. It really comes down often to a priority thing and us not making the time. And parenting really requires exceptional time with our kids. Billy Graham was asked before he passed away what his greatest regret was. I think how it was phrased exactly was, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do different? And and I know many of us know kind of a little bit about Billy Graham, but here's a guy that God used to see millions of people around the world. I remember even growing up in the 80s during the Cold War, and, 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 you know, we always had this thing with the Soviet Union, but, but... but somehow Billy Graham and, and just how they weren't real open to religious freedom, of course, and things. And yet Billy Graham's over in, the, in Russia doing, doing these big, you know, uh, crusade events and stuff. Just incredible how God used him to, to literally millions of people have claimed to put their trust and faith in Jesus based in his ministry. On top, top of that, he's, he's done all sorts of other things. He's written many, many books that have influenced lots of leaders and pastors and, and Christians. And, and um, he's put together institutes and stuff like that. And so I think the person asking this question is like, you know, would you do, you know, uh, was there one crusade that you wish you, you, you didn't get a chance to do in a certain country or part of the world or something? And his response is if he had to do it all over again, He would have spent more time with his kids. And I just think, you know, that is is incredibly telling uh, to someone who who God has used in such a powerful way. In James 14, 14, it says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. God's word reminds us how quick and short our days are here and really that we have no idea how, how even if we have the average amount of time in life and the average, you know, length of life, that you never know uh, that, that God may have a different plan for your life and it may be even cut shorter than those days that we think. But we're supposed to know and have that perspective that this life is very short and so we value and appreciate the time that we have and we, we choose who we're going to disappoint. And that's really hard for me as a pastor and trying to lead a, a church and, and, and those kind of things. Um, but, but I came to that realization that we choose who we're going to disappoint. Are we going to disappoint our kids and our family and our, our wife or our husband? Or are we going to disappoint other people who are trying to demand our time? And sometimes we're in that position where we simply have to decide who that's going to be. And if we look at our life and and look back at the whole picture of it, who are we going to be more, uh, um, what what disappointment's going to well up in us about making that choice? Like, oh, I should have this person that that I I didn't know that's not a part of my family wanted this time from me. Or like Billy Graham, that that would be something that that we wish we could spend more time with our kids. Um, who are you going to be available to? 
the, uh, I, I love uh, my girls, and I'm convicted. I'm up here preaching this, but I'm like writing notes and going, okay, Ben, you better do this. And this, uh, a lot of people know you in this church, and, and you have to do more of this. Um, uh, but when I make that specific intentional time with our kid, my kids that are quality, the other thing I would encourage you in a real practical way is to try to do it individually if you have more than one child. And so um, I try to, even yesterday, I got to spend a little time with Jackson. He was sick, so we kind of hung out in the basement and watched a movie together. Um, but trying to spend some time. Uh, Rachel, when's the last time we had a daughter-daddy date? It's been way too long. Don't tell on me. Okay. <laughs> but I love, and I think, you know, sometimes you think maybe, oh, they don't even want to hang out with me. Um, and I, I'm just going to pretend that Rachel wants to hang out with me. Uh, but Karis will tell me. She, she loves that. She loves that time where it's just, just me. And I know Rachel does too, right, honey? Okay. <laughs> She's like, I have extra comments, but you're not on stage and you don't have a mic. So. Um, as a pastor, it's really hard, though, to be honest with you, that, that people, uh, you know, want to meet many people. It's, it's hard for them to meet during the day. They're at work, so they want to meet in the evening, and I'm like, oh, well, the evening, that's when my family's home, finally. And so, you know, uh, on top of the, the responsibilities, uh, you know, of other, other schedule things that we have of life groups and life classes and church meetings and, and those kind of things. And so here at Lifestone, just so you guys know in a real practical way, we really see the life group leaders, and we want to promote them and train them and help them, encourage them to see this and embrace this more and more, that our life group leaders are kind of the pastoring people within our church to their small group. Because in our church, I know on Sunday, people kind of come and go, and, and, but we have somewhere about 300 to 400 people who call Lifestone Church their home. Um, people just, you know, not, they don't all show up on the same Sunday. You know when everybody shows up on the same Sunday? Easter. So, you know, we have three services and we've had over 600 people show up at Easter. So, um, so if you could imagine, it is very limiting to think, okay, well, if, if I'm going to try to pastor and give some spiritual guidance and counsel and pray for and be connected and know the individual circumstances and everything in everybody's life um, and then try to find time for people who, who I'd like to meet with and connect with, we would just limit ourselves to a very small church. And not you guys, a lot of you don't even like me. So... You don't want to hang out with me. You don't want to. <laughs> okay, you're supposed to laugh at that, but I really, I, I hit a, a, a nerve of truth there. Okay, um, but, but seriously, I say that kidding, but in, in the truth of it is, you know, I may not have the wisdom in some area or experience or connection with you that, that many other people may in a much better way have with you. And so that's why we make a big deal about life groups. Because you talk about spending time and that being an essential quality to build a relationship. Well, that's why, hey, I make a commitment to meet with my group this, you know, this much time. And, and that's a commitment. And I only miss it when I, you know, when I have to because that's what a commitment means. 
And then you have this built-in time that you're spending on a regular basis with a group that's small enough that you can really be connected to. Would you guys do this for me real quick? If you're a life group leader, would you just kind of raise your hand? Sorry to put you on the spot. You guys don't mind. All right. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Here's the pastors of our church right here. And so thank you so much for investing and, and just pouring into your group and, and, and counseling and encouraging and leading them uh, to, to follow God's word. You guys are awesome. Um, so the last thing I want to share with you, uh, in Mark ten sixteen, it says, Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads, there's the, the physical affection, and blessed them. And what does that mean? Of course, he spoke a blessing into these kids' lives. Uh, so often I think, hey, there's a bunch of kids and they come running up to me. What am I going to tell them? Hey, guys, be quiet. Quit running. There's stuff going on. Where are your parents? And I love that Jesus' response is, I'm going to bless these kids. I'm going to say something of encouragement to them. Number three, regular encouragement. You know what's interesting? Uh, the, the other thing I discovered in studying this is there is only one time in the entire New Testament where God the Father, we hear an audible statement from God the Father to Jesus. Only one time in all of, all of Scripture. And it's here in Matthew 3.17. And, and it says this, And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So, so the one time in the one recording where we get the words of God the Father to Jesus as he is, is God the Son here on this earth, and this is, of course, at his baptism, we get this incredibly encouraging um, statement. And I think, I think God the Father is, is really showing a principle and a, a beautiful example to us. So I just want to encourage you guys to encourage your kids, if I could use that word a few more times, encourage them like crazy. Let them know how proud you are of them. And, and even if you're like, well, my, my, my kids are adults. Oh, my goodness. Can I just tell you, if your kids are adults, that can mean the world to them, that, that you look at how they're doing their life. And no, you know, there may be things that you're, you're frustrated with or you'd like to see change. But there's got to be some things that you can focus on and highlight of why you're proud of them, what they're doing, encourage them in those areas, and then see the influence that you'll have to be able to maybe help them in, in other areas that you may have some concern about. But we see this incredible, and of course, talk about a relationship hack. I mean, here's one, just being encouraging. Uh, it, it, it just a principle. I, I love, as you read in the New Testament, one of the, one of the most common descriptions, and you guys have heard me say this so often because it's, it's my dream that we would continue to be and even uh, more increasingly be a church that encourages one another. Because one of the most uh, common descriptions of the early church is they came together and they encouraged each other. And they came together and they encouraged each other. And they came together and they encouraged each other. That is something we're called to do. I mean, if, if you feel like you, you don't have relationships, you don't have friends, well, quit, you know, focusing on your problems and your issues. And whenever anyone approaches you, they're like, oh, okay, oh, you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. How can I help? Or what words do I say? 
Don't be that person. But instead, get out of your world and your life and think about others and, and think, how can I encourage that person? And I love just a challenge to you, life stoners, to just come here on a Sunday morning. And I know we were probably like, well, I wonder if Keely's going to sing. That's going to be awesome. I wonder if so-and-so, you know, the music, or if they're going to play this song, or, or if, you know, um, maybe we'll have a guest preacher and there will be some good preaching at church. Um, you know, whatever you get excited about, like, oh, that's not bad, but, but wouldn't it be cool if one of our greatest priorities was to go, oh, man, I'm going this morning, and I'm just going to observe and look and, and, and see who God wants me to encourage and lift up. Such a powerful thing, I think, that God has called us to do and shows an example. So, guys, hug your kids, even if they're old, especially if they're, especially if they're teenagers, and they wiggle and they say, what are you doing? Get out of here. Ah, just hug them tighter. Spend time with them and be intentional. Create your schedule and do whatever you need to do to make sure you spend time with those kids. And um, um, treat it like that's your job because really that is your job and your calling. Um, and, and lift them up and encourage them. Guys, next week we're going to talk about discipline. There is this other side in, in a loving way that, that we're called to, to show appropriate discipline to our kids. And so you won't want to miss that. Come here next week. But guys, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask the band to come on up here. Um, I want to encourage anyone here this morning about how God views you and sees you. Uh, we have a God who has shown incredible love. The, the kind of love that God... Uh, has shown to us, and, and the description that we get of God's love is unconditional. That's so hard to wrap our brains around because our love is conditional. It just is. And, and, and once the Holy Spirit invades our life, I think he begins to start to, to allow us and show us and work through us to love unconditionally. But there's this God who loves you so much that he did everything possible to, to restore a relationship, to have and to start, really, a relationship with you. That your relationship with God is broken because of your sin, because of your rebellion against God. And what God did was know that, that we could do nothing to make ourselves right with God. That, that here's a principle you should walk away with about this specific topic, about how we have a relationship with God. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And what God wanted is for us to have this relationship eternally with him in heaven. And so he did everything, not some, not a little step or a huge step or 99% of it. He did 100% what is necessary to, to forgive me, to pay for my sin and rebellion and yours. And the Bible says we receive that by simply putting our trust and faith in Jesus what he did on the cross through his death, burial, resurrection. And, and by doing that, you, you enter into a relationship with God. And then this relationship, Jesus, he defines it as, as us relating to God as, as though, uh, as, as his disciples asked him, like, how do we talk to God? How do we pray to God? And Jesus said, he gave him an example, and he begins it by, by addressing God as daddy, as this very intimate uh, intimate relationship that he has with God. And so as we talk about parenting, 
God wants to adopt you into his family, the Bible says, through faith in Jesus. If you haven't done that, I just pray today would be the day you would make that decision.